We're rolling. Welcome to the House Dudes Podcast, where we invite you to follow us on our journey towards financial freedom using the power of real estate. I'm Jack Haas. And I'm Josh Koth. Here at House Dudes, we believe in a couple key principles. Number one, the best way to retain information is by teaching it to others. And number two, a rising tide lifts all boats. We're not competitors, we're a community. So let's get into some real estate investing. So we have uh, Jason Roberts and Rachel Snyder on the call. Did I get your name, last name right there, Rachel? Yeah, Schneider, yep. yep. Yes. Great. So, um, and as always, I always kick it over to uh, the guest to introduce themselves. And uh, th- this is going to be a great conversation because like I had mentioned before the call here that I'm kind of been working on some marketing myself and, and I, I think there's going to be some great conversations there. So why don't we start with you, Rachel? Yeah, um, Jason and I have been business partners for 19 years now. Um, We were in the mortgage business together at a very young age, and then we felt the ultimate crash that the whole economy felt, um, and we transitioned into real estate investing. And so we have been full-time real estate investor since 2010, really, is when we got started. And um, today we single family resident flip, whether it's, you know, rehab, wholesale, we've really kind of done everything. I think in the last couple of years, we've really focused on multi-units as well, kind of adding that um, Mm -hmm. to our real estate knowledge and thinking more about the future and retirement. Not that we're probably ever going to do that, but just kind of long-term buy and holds where before that was never really into our business model. Sure. And Jason, what do you what do you think? You you've spent a lot of uh, experience now in the mortgage industry. What what's it been like uh, jumping into the real estate world? You know, um, that mortgage business owned us. Uh, it it owned our life. It owned our soul. I mean, it was uh, it was a get to the office at five thirty in the morning and leave at midnight most nights. Um, it was being on call on Sunday when realtors needed a pre-approval. Um, we, we made a lot of money. You know, we had close to a hundred employees at one point. It was, it was a big business, but it, it absolutely owned our life, man. And um, I will say that one of the biggest things to the transition, you, you can also work 70 hours a week as a real estate investor, right? I, I would right. say one of, the, one of the biggest changes that we made was figuring out a way to build the real estate investing business in a way that it served us instead of, us serving it. And that's been the the biggest difference for us is man, is that it's been a a complete quality of life change. It's, you know, we've done a little over 400 deals, um, but we're not a slave to it. I mean, we work four or five hours a day, three, four days a week and, and definitely put an emphasis on putting life first this go around instead of spending another, you know, 10 years the other way around. Sure. Well, let's, let's start there then. Like, how did you, you know, it is, it is a, and I, I actually call it a, a romanticism associated with the grind these days. You know, there's a lot of gurus out there who right. are really pitching that concept that you've got to be busting your butt to, to get anything done or accomplished. How did you change that mindset and what did you do to work towards that goal? So for, for me, it was a mentor that I hired right when we first got in the real estate investing business. Like Rachel said, we, 
we were caught up in the crash of 07. It bled us dry from 2007 to 2010. I mean, at one point we were losing $60,000, $70,000 a month, month after month after month. You know, when you have a space that houses 100 employees, just because mm-hmm. the income stops coming in doesn't mean that uh, the, the bills stop coming in. They, they keep coming. And right. it, it drug us down. I, I lost my own home to foreclosure. I had cars repossessed right in front of all my employees. I mean, when, when, I, you know, when she said we got wiped out, we, we got wiped out. And one of the first mentors I hired when we went, decided to go the real estate investing route, you know, sat down with me and he said, Jason, you know, you're nobody special. Any, you know, there's a lot of people that are good at business. There's a lot of people that make a lot of money. You're nobody, you're working 12 hours a day. You're neglecting yourself, but you're neglecting your family. You're neglecting your friends. Um, you're neglecting everything that, that you say really matters to you uh, for, for a business. You know, what would be really cool is if you could figure out how to build this business in a way that you worked three or four hours a day and got the same result or better than you're doing working 12 hours a day. And that was just so polar opposite of what had been beat into me since I was a child. You know, I mean, my dad from a young age, you know, your job as a man is to work and provide. That's what you do. So mm-hmm. get to work. Um, and we started that grind at a really young age. Um, and you're right. There's no shortage of gurus out there preaching. You, you want to be an entrepreneur, you got to work a hundred hours a week. And um, I, I mean, I, I certainly subscribed to that before, but I, I don't know that I had ever, seen or heard of a different way. And I got exposed to these guys that all ran businesses, different types of businesses, and they weren't slaves to it. And, and he started making me put some things in my life that I actually wanted to do. Like, you know, what, what the question he asked me was, what would your life look like if you didn't have to get up and go to work and you were financially free? What would you do? What would life look like? And I really struggle with, I mean, as stupid as it sounds, I was like, well, I'd build another business. And he's like, no, man, like, what would you do for fun? And that sucks to be a 30 year old guy at the time and not be able to answer that question. And, and I really couldn't answer it. I, I really was kind of deer in the headlights. And he took me through this exercise of really like planning out my week of what I would, what mm-hmm. that would look like, you know, like, would you ride your motorcycle? Would you take helicopter lessons? Would you cook breakfast for your kids and take them to school and pick them up? And you know what I mean? Just all those things that, that if money and work wasn't a, an object, what would you do? And then he overlaid that, you know, once I had that all mapped out, then he said, okay, how about the time that's left over is for business? And my entire life was business first and whatever was left over, maybe I could go have fun or, or have a life which mm-hmm. you know, didn't really exist. So for me, that was uh, an absolute game changer and how we run companies and how we run businesses and how we manage our staff. And, and I mean, it, that probably more than anything has been the biggest single game changer for us in, in, in business. Sure. So, you know, you said you have done 400 transactions here now over how much, how long has that been, Rachel? So we started investing in 2010. um, And I feel like we did a couple of deals in 2010 and 2011. Like I agree with Jason, you know, we very much today, our businesses serve us, right? Like we Mm -hmm. don't serve these businesses. We're not slaves to them, but I am also a teacher and a firm believer that there is that hustle period for lack of a better word. Like Mm -hmm. you do make a short term sacrifice for a long term game and coming from where we were that we were completely wiped out personally and professionally. Our first year, 2011, we did over a hundred flips 
and we just kind of kept our head down and we worked extremely hard. So we had a very large number that very first year and we served that business hands down. And then we really worked ourselves out and we started automating and delegating and bringing on a team and working smarter, not harder. Um, and then so really 2011, we did that first hundred and today we will do a dozen, maybe 20. It kind of varies depending on we don't really rehab as much as we used to. We used to be very heavy in that a few years ago, but mm -hmm. from a time space and we've kind of become educators and coaches now um, to protect our personal lives. Uh, we get a deal, we wholesale it off. We get a deal, we wholesale it off just to kind of keep things simple. Right. Yeah, we're kind of progressing in that direction as well, actually. That's that's interesting. We uh, Last winter, we, we tried to fix and flip, I bet you, I think five properties in in one winter and yeah and uh in 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 this part of the world that it takes it it starts to uh you can start to easily lose track of what's going on where yeah um, so so another piece of this that I find really interesting is that you're not just in one market too right are you are do you are you spread around and and if so how did you select those markets and how did you grow those teams in those markets? We've predominantly invested in St. Louis. Um, and so that, okay. that's, that's been for the most part, um, we, when we, when we started doing more and more deals and having more and more profits, we opened a hard money lending business. Um, this isn't a pitch for hard money lending. It's just the, the way that we started to grow capital and said, okay, we've got a couple hundred thousand dollars sitting now. What should we do with it? And with our lending background, that's just the direction we went. We don't publicize it. It's not advertised anywhere. It's mainly just for our coaching students and people that we work with. But that business kind of took on its own um, its own life. And with our background in that, now that world, we lend, you know, we lend all across the country from California to yeah. Baltimore. I'll finish this thing. Oh, there we go. Go ahead. We just lost you for a minute, so I was just going to pick up, but we're good. <laughs> well, I don't know where you lost me, but um, anyway, we... In that world, we lend from California to Baltimore. So from a deal flip perspective, we've been predominantly St. Louis. Um, from a lending perspective, analyzing deals all over the country. Sure, sure. So um, one of the things that everybody's kind of struggling with right now is keeping those phones ringing, right? Absolutely. And I know you're, you're really, you're, you're down to a dozen, two dozen flips, but it sounds like you're doing a lot more wholesaling. And we all know that's a numbers game. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about the strategies that you're implementing? Because, I mean, uh, a great example is I, I think everybody would agree conversion on a bandit sign is dropping. Uh, those direct mails are dropping. Yeah. Um, and uh, everybody's kind of looking at new strategies to try to figure this out because uh, some of those – old and true marketing yeah. techniques just don't seem to be sticking like they used to. Yeah. Uh, we put a huge emphasis on becoming a real estate marketer, right? Like that's something that you really have to master in order to say that you have a real estate investing business. You know, if you're relying on other people to bring you those deals, you're really treating it more as a hobby because you can't create consistency with that. And so for us, it's not necessarily the strategies that we use that are what is unique about 
us and you know what we've done in our careers but then also with like our teaching sorority blueprint it's more the manner and how we market to them um, we are huge fans of guerrilla marketing we teach and believe and this is how we you know the market that we were in when we first got into real estate investing you know we speak at different rias and we say hey how many of you guys are doing pre-foreclosure marketing and are doing short sales and a couple hands raise right and our market you'd be in a room of 80 people and 50 people's hands go up you know like there was a ton of competition and we really had to separate ourselves from everyone else and so we do although you know bandit signs driving for dollars will you get some deals yeah you're gonna find some deals here and there but I want to find motivated sellers like people that right. genuinely have more of a reason to have a need to sell their property and so the four areas that we see for us but then also our students in other markets is we emphasize on probates um we do evictions and we do pre-foreclosure and then we also do some local banks which is kind of a unique strategy mm -hmm. um but it's the manner in which we market to them and it's a really lead exhaustion kind of campaign you know they say 80 percent of, of sales are done after the fifth contact we get to five instantly and it's through determining what their preferred way of communication is so we do mail um and i'm not this raving fan of mail but you will you'll get some deals from mail but you mm -hmm. can't just rely on that one avenue right like that's right. so one-dimensional and so we teach mail and depending on the strategy there's a completely different you know mail campaign for it we do facebook messaging we do ringless voicemails we do text messaging um we're big on outbound calling which so many people kind of fear away from because it's uncomfortable and for us you need to get comfortable being uncomfortable right like mm -hmm. that is you need to be a, a an expert at marketing but you also need to be an expert at communicating with people and creating relationships with them you know that no like trust kind of philosophy is how your offers get accepted everyone thinks it's about the dollar but there's so much more to it than that right is there anything else to add on that jason and she, she did a good job covering that. Um, but, but I think, you know, to get specific in it, like Rachel said, 80% of sales happen after the fifth contact. The other important thing to know about that, if you're running this business, is that 80% of salespeople give up after the first contact. Yeah. So right. if you do nothing else other than follow up once or twice, you know, our, our acquisitions guy on the wholesale side, we do somewhere between 50 and 70 wholesales per year. And in our office, in his office, he's got this board on the wall. And I went in there one day, the first time I saw the board and he had 50, 60 names up there. And I said, what, what, what is the board? Like it had a name, an address and a phone number. And I said, what is this? And he said, that's my hot board. And I said, well, what makes it your hot board? Like what makes those leads hot? And he said, well, these are all the people that told me no the first time I went to their house. And, and my first response was like, well, that's not a hot board. That's like the bad board, right? Like, mm -hmm. um, and, and he said, no, 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 dude. He said, if we're doing seven closings a month, four of them will come from people who originally told me no on my first appointment. And mm -hmm. I just continue to follow up with them because no one, 80% of salespeople aren't following up past one. So there's, there's that that I just think is by itself super important. Yeah. And right. then there is the things that we utilize like skip tracing to find their cell phone number. You're not finding that when you pull their data. We're finding their cell phone number. You're not finding their email address most of the time when you when you scrub data. So we're finding their email address. You're not normally finding a social media link to find their 
personal Facebook profile, we're finding those types of things. We're, we're trying, like Rachel said, to reach them through as many different facets as we can with a, with a campaign, not just a one-off message, but a, but a specific campaign that touches them throughout the process to increase a response rate. So, you know, for instance, direct mail has, most people know this, a one to 2% response rate. Mm-hmm. Most, of, most of what we teach is, is coming in from what we track somewhere in the neighborhood of a 10 and 20% response rate. So it's, it's astronomically different when you've already paid for the data, you've already found the lead. Um, why not do a little bit more marketing wise? And most of the stuff can be automated. So it's not like we're having to do a ton of this, but right. why not reach them in some different ways and, and push a 1% response rate to, to 10? I mean, that's 10 times the result. So if you're used to getting five calls a week of sellers, you're now getting 50 calls in a week. It's so different. Sure. So, you know, this, this is a lot to un, unravel here. I mean, that, there, there's a lot of, of interesting content. Uh, what, let, let's boil it down just to, to a few actionable items that somebody could take, like see immediate results from that they could maybe implement today um, where, where they could maybe, you know, like, like you said, our mail campaigns are probably seeing one or 2%. Like yeah. what are some actionable things that they could do tomorrow to uh, see a, at least a, a slight bump or an increase? Jason, you pick one and I'll pick one and we can elaborate. All right. If, if I need to get a deal tomorrow under contract and I had nothing shaking, nothing going on. Can you guys hear me? Mm-hmm. Uh, very first thing. Number one, pull your data, get, get, 100 records, 200 records of a probate case filing, of a foreclosure case filing, of whatever your marketing strategy is, evictions, whatever. Get the data, run it through a skip tracer, and send out a ringless voicemail. Um, Super simple. You could have it done in a couple hours and um, probably come in somewhere with a 5 to 10% 10 response rate on that. So automatically you're going to have, you know, if you have a a list of 200, you're automatically going to have probably 20 seller phone calls um, of people that you can go on an appointment, meet with sometime in the coming week. Right. Yeah. And so just an added little thing I want to add to your ringless voicemail that that's cool that not a lot of people know is number one, for those of you that aren't familiar with it, we could take 200 phone numbers and put them in the system and it's going to blast a message out to all of them within 30 seconds, right? So we just Mm -hmm. reached a huge, a huge amount of people, right? With very little work on our end. What I really love about these ringless voicemails is it generates reports and it lets you know what numbers were disconnected and what numbers it was able to connect to. Um, And sometimes you'll hit a landline that it can't leave a message on. Mm -hmm. So it will just show that it wasn't able to to send a message because one of the most irritating things when you're following up and making outbound phone calls is all those disconnected numbers, right? It kind of gets you down a little bit. And so this, I think I love the ringless voicemail, but I also love incorporating that tool of that report because it makes it makes the outbound calling, I feel like, go a little bit smoother. Um, I think for me, I would say the Facebook messaging and for multiple reasons, but I meet a lot of people that are really interested in real estate investing, but their budget might be on the lower end and Facebook messaging is free. All it takes is your time and um, a lot of skip tracing platforms will give you their social media links, but 
you go right on Facebook, you put the name in, they pull up in, you know, in closest proximity to you. Mm -hmm. If you're not sure you have the right person, we take about five seconds to determine that we blast the message out and we'll send it out to a couple people. Mm -hmm. We only need to get one, right? Like that's all we're trying to get is the one right, right person to create the opportunity. And so I think I'd say the Facebook messaging and you go anywhere and you look around and everybody's glued to their cell phones, right? Like you'd right. like to think they're all reading this really interesting <laughs> article, but nine out of 10, they're, you know, posting what they had for dinner or they're, you know, putting up pictures and it's just, we have to tap into where our world's at right now. And technology is driving so much of that. Social media platforms are just so big right now. Right. Yeah, the, the social media thing is something that's been uh, interesting for us as well. It, it, uh, I, we definitely have uh, leveraged it for just kind of blasting out for marketing. But I guess, you know, the, the Facebook Messenger thing is something that we haven't crossed that line yet. So that's a, that's a good tip. Um, yeah. Well, when Rachel, Rachel talked about the no like trust, you know, I mean, I think that's a great rule. In order for somebody to do business with you, they have to know you, they have to like you, they have to trust you. And one of the ways somebody gets to know you, one of the ways somebody gets to like you, and one of the ways somebody can learn to trust you, I mean, is creep somebody on Facebook, right? I mean, you can go on my profile or yours. You can start to see the things that we enjoy, the things that we think are funny, the things that we do mm -hmm. with our families. Yeah. Um, they can see that we're, we've been part of our communities for a long time. Um, they can see history, right? And so you can get to know somebody that way. You can get to like somebody if you have similar interests. Um, it's, it's just a more personable approach than a letter that I don't know who the heck and who I'm dealing with. Um, so right. I think that's a good point, Rachel. I think that's a big part of why that works. Yeah. So, you know, and I, I'm, I'm going to just add one thing too, is that, and, and I'm always really amazed because frankly, I'm getting those postcards in the mail all the time, you know, mm -hmm. uh, or, you know, yellow letters. I'm always surprised that nobody, or it's actually pretty rare that they, they put their website address on on their postcard yeah um because and i you know one or two percent of the people will call me but at least that much will hit my website and sure. now i can track them and, and serve up some ads on some of the social networks right absolutely so but anyway um i i'm gonna change the subject just a little bit because um because i i know you you two have a lot of experience with short sales Mm -hmm. And I wanted to chat a little bit about that. Do you think they're coming back? And if so, like how does somebody start getting involved in, in that type of thing? So absolutely on the rise. Um, I'm seeing it every single day that those numbers are increasing in our local counties, but also in students that we have in markets across the country. Um, they are a strategy that so many people, I think, really push back on and say, oh, they're horrible. And, and I would agree if you don't know what you're doing, right? right. Um, there, there is a process that has to be followed. You know, we're going to sometimes get those deals where the properties actually have equity in them. It is few and far between, but unfortunately, we find that these people are in a bad state of mind and they didn't get the house listed on the MLS, like we all think that we would have done, right? And right. so always analyzing the numbers first because you only wanna do a short sale if you have to. 
most of the time you're going to have to, but always check that first. Cause I've had many of those deals. I've walked through people and I'm like, you don't need to do the short sale. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, secondly is to get some education around it in the sense, and, and I'm not pushing you to upsell into anything. I'm just saying that if you, if you send in a short sale package and it's an absolute mess, you're going to the bottom of the pile. Right. And when right. you send in a structured outlined package that makes sense to the other person. I always explain it as you're kind of telling a story, right? To the, mm -hmm. to this person at the bank and you need to make sure that you've crossed your T's and you've dotted your I's. And if your people don't work, you need a letter that says they don't work. Right. And you really have to dive into all of those things and be very crystal clear. Um, one of the guys that we, they, I didn't mean to interrupt you. One of, one of the guys that we coach used to be a negotiator in the short sale department yeah. for Chase. And he's now a student. He now runs an active short sale pipeline of what, Rachel? Probably 50, 60 deals that he has working at any given point. Yeah. And he, he told us that when he used to work for Chase that he would delete, uh, he would delete or trash can files if they were missing page five of the bank statement. So, you know, that they're not in the business of chasing you down to properly submit your paperwork. Mm -hmm. And when you don't do it right, I mean, just like in the mortgage business, our underwriters would hate us if we turned in a file without pay stubs or even if we were missing something. So I didn't mean to cut you off, Rachel, but I think it's oh. so important in that that's why most people say, ooh, short sales, I've heard terrible stories about them and why we had, I mean, those hundred deals we did the first year were all short sales, everyone. Yeah, every single one of them. And what's cool is it's a phone call to the bank. You know, you you do your marketing. What I love about pre-foreclosures is the data is all public knowledge. And so at times you might be down at the recorder's office, but most of the time in, in today, this technology that we have, it's it's an online database. That's I'm only using online databases that are direct feeds from the courthouse. That's very important. We don't want any delay. Mm -hmm. Um with that, but the data is very easy to access. For those of you that I hate, I, I don't want to use the word salespeople, but feel like you're not a good influencer, this is the ideal strategy for you because there's no sale in it. It does not matter to this homeowner what you're going to purchase their property for. So if like numbers make you uncomfortable, it has no bearing on their decision so to right. make this deal with you or not because they don't financially benefit mm -hmm. when the short sale is completed. So there's, there's zero impact on if I buy this house for a dollar or if I buy this house for 200,000. Now, if you are in a deficiency state, you need to be conscious of that. But part of your short sale negotiations is to get the deficiency waived. That's, you know, that goes kind of hand in hand. Um, and of all of the hundreds of short sales that I've done, um, I could probably count on one hand how many times I've not been able to negotiate that a deficiency be waived. So it's a very common practice as an automatic. And, you know, if you're not that detailed person naturally, you call Bank of America, Chase, whoever their lender is, and you say, what documents do you need to start the short sale process? Most of them have an online package that you can Google search. It's a PDF download, and it's step-by-step -step exactly what they need from you. Mm -hmm. But like Jason said, if your bank statements say eight pages, even if the eighth page is blank, you send the eighth page, right? If you're missing True. anything, you could be missing two things. Let's say you're missing a paycheck stub and you're missing one year tax returns because you didn't file them. That's two separate letters 
One's got a big label that says pay stubs. I don't have pay stubs because I don't receive any income. I'm also not receiving unemployment. I have nothing to provide you. Mm-hmm. Then you take that tax return. I haven't filed my taxes or I filed them. Here's my extension, you know, whatever that case is. And, and so that, that streamlines so much of the, what I hear people say they struggle with with short sales. Sure. No, that makes a lot of sense. And in fact, I, you know, we, we sometimes lose sight of the fact that these people are as busy, if not busier than we are. And, and frankly, they don't have the time to hunt this stuff down. If they don't have it in front of them, they got to move on to the next candidate. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Exactly yep. right. So, you know, I, I warned you that we we're going to kind of stick to 30 minutes here. Um, and we kind of covered a lot of ground, but it, it's obvious that, you have a lot more information to share. How do people find you and get a hold of you? Man, I, I think probably the best way, and, and we've spent the last four or five years traveling around the country and speaking at some of the biggest real estate investor groups around, and we didn't really have much of a social media presence. We didn't really set out to be educators. You know, I, I was in a mastermind group with some people that own these, I didn't even know what a RIA was, and they said, hey, would, would you and Rachel just come and share how you flipped 100 houses? So six, seven years ago, that, that's really where REI Blueprint started. Um, we have definitely moved to, to be, have more of a presence. Uh, go to Facebook and just type in REI Blueprint. Find our Facebook page. Rachel and I try to put some sort of training video up there for free every day. Someone on our team is posting something. We've actually grown a really cool community. I think we've got like six or 7,000 people now in that community that uh, we're sharing strategies, we're sharing tips, we're sharing things that we're doing. We're, you know, we're having a, a boot camp or a training coming up. We disclose that. Um, so I, I would say find our, our Facebook page, send a note, say, Hey, you saw us on the podcast and anything we can do to help. We'd, we'd love to help. That's great. Rachel, how about you? Is there anything else you wanted to call out? And I always end with, is there a question that you wish I would have asked? Yeah. Oh, that's good. Um, I think it's always good for someone that, you know, right, we're, we're all else's as far as the investing side is. But I think that when you see someone that has experienced uh, a decent level of success is it's very important that you get tapped in and not find yourself always trying to recreate the wheel for things. Um, if you have someone that has, you know, I use do exactly what they did, um, but but take action. Like that's my biggest thing is you know take action and take consistent action. It's not going to always be easy, right? Like in you know in your business, we always have something that comes up, um, but the the payoff is so worth it. It is the the level of freedom when you really run this like a business, but you set it up to serve you. Um, I I almost couldn't imagine doing anything other than this. Well, I can't thank you both enough for joining me here tonight and putting up with some of my questions. And, and uh, I really hope that we can do it again sometime. Absolutely, man. Thank you. We really appreciate the opportunity to share. Absolutely. Thank you. We've put a lot of effort into providing useful content. And if you found value in the show and have any interest in supporting us with a small donation, head over to patreon.com slash housedudes.
And if you have any thoughts or questions, shoot us an email at info at housedudes.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at House Dudes. And if you like what you're hearing, head over to iTunes, subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. It really helps other investors out there find the show. And remember, massive positive impact requires massive positive action. We'll see you next time. This episode is brought to you by housedudes.com. Do you have time to actively manage flipping and rentals yourself? If so, go for it. If you live in a market that won't cash flow or don't have the time to do all the work, are you just out of luck? If there was a way to participate more passively, would that appeal to you? I'm sure you have questions about how the process works and what to do next. If that's the case, fill out the form on housedudes.com investors, and we'll reach out to see if you are a good fit for our business. This is first come, first serve, and we will have to stop taking applications when our goals are met. See you at housedudes.com investors. a man what to do with his money but if you ain't investing in property then you're dumber than a dummy i'm not dumb i'm smart well buy property that's my advice